You're listening to Sound Funding, conversations with Europe's leading experts in impact investing. Today, I spoke with Myrna Atala, Executive Director of the Alfanara Venture Philanthropy Organization. Myrna has been working in venture philanthropy across the Middle East and North Africa, or MENA for short, for 18 years. Now her team is putting together a $50 million impact fund, which will be the largest of its kind in the region. We talked about trends in MENA, effective impact measurement, and where to take in some Arab art in central London. I'm Ryan Grant-Little. Thanks for joining Myrna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. I'm so excited to be here. So I hear that Alphanar Venture Philanthropy is launching a fund, and you've been working in venture philanthropy for the last 18 years. Can you bring us up to speed from 18 years ago to today? Super. A question I really like. So we were started and launched in the mid-2000s, around the time when the venture philanthropy movement was taking off globally, and we are the Arab region's first venture philanthropy organization. And at the time, really, the intention was to help social purpose organizations, as social enterprise wasn't so well translated, you know, or practiced in the region at the time, but to bring them a little bit closer to self-reliance and to help them both professionalize their impact models, scale them up, and encourage self-generated revenue streams. And we really take a very similar approach to other venture philanthropy organizations with tailored financing, uh, the glue being high engagement in terms of management support and technical assistance, and then impact management. And over the 18 years, what we found is actually there's a growing number of social enterprises, both Uh, companies registered with social purpose, as well as nonprofits that have growing revenue streams self-generated through sale of goods and services. And they're getting ready to graduate to other types of financing. So what started as grants and zero interest loans, coupled with the other aspects that I mentioned, actually has translated into our first equity stake in a social enterprise, even as the venture philanthropy organization but also the emergence of many more opportunities. And um, I think it's worth noting that within or amidst the sort of $700 plus billion that's going into impact investment, only 2% gets directed to the Middle East and North Africa. Mm -hmm. So there's clearly a gap. And as our social enterprises have begun to graduate from our support, what we also find is that the ecosystem is pretty fractured. So they might have to make the rounds to venture capitalists or family offices, et cetera. But actually, none of those entities are focused on impact. So we are coming at it from 18 years of tracking, helping manage, helping build systems to evaluate their impact and saying, no, you actually, we can couple this scaling journey and extend the financing life cycle to include debt instruments, equity, hybrids, and others. And in order to recycle that kind of funding and keep it in the sector. And yeah, a lot of times these ventures don't actually need grants. What they need is loans and some form of financing to help build a a business because they actually have a business model. 100%. And even in our process at present, we might start with risk capital grants, essentially, for the three to five year period, but as their self-generated revenue 
becomes more reliable, we taper that up with zero interest loans. Right now in the venture philanthropy kind of process, and eventually, yes, they need other types of instruments and we want them to access that. We want them to be more reliant and more exciting to other investors. And so you you started with traditional venture philanthropy, you, you moved from there to repayables, to more kind of equity instruments, and then you started to develop this kind of critical mass where you said, hey, actually makes sense to put together a fund. And this is maybe where you are right now, and you're about to launch this fund. Tell us a bit about that. I know you started the raise in 2019, very tumultuous time, both in MENA and Lebanon, where you're focused doing a lot of the work, but also globally. How has that experience been in the past few years trying to raise a fund in these conditions? Well, it's been humbling and eye-opening for sure. In 2019, we embarked on this journey, mostly because we found that we were doing our job really well. I mean, I should just maybe take one pause to say that on average, our social enterprises are able to increase their impact on lives by 40% over the span of the investment and increase their self-generated revenue streams by 36%. Wow. So, you know, as we were seeing that happen, and when we really just kind of take the data from 2015 onwards, when we just started saying, nope, we only focus on social enterprise, actually 52% of the portfolio is either growing impact sustainably in line with revenue or even close to break even, if not at break even. So that was the genesis essentially for, okay, it's time to fill this gap that not only our social enterprises, but businesses with impact in the region are facing. There was, of course, a huge economic crisis that hit Lebanon at the end of 2019 and led to 180% devaluation of the currency complete unraveling, really, of the economic system there, not to mention COVID (laughs) hit very, very quickly afterwards. And that's had enormous impacts, especially on impoverished groups. And those were trying to impact or the social enterprises are trying to impact. And today there are pretty significant recessionary (laughs) trends, globally speaking. So it hasn't been easy, but what has been incredibly helpful is we have had the support of meaningful and like-minded partners and foundations that have supported with grant funding this pre-startup phase. In many ways, perhaps it's a boon, I mean, we can say, because it's allowed us to really articulate the investment thesis further and to be a little bit more resilient because actually in times of crisis, there are many good deals. (laughs) And so we've been able to build the pipeline up and we've really had the ability to widen our focus. We currently operate in Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, and have just launched in Palestine. But, you know, we'd like for this fund while taking primary focus in the operating markets that we are most familiar with, to actually be a regional fund. And so we are beginning to build the pipeline and our sort of understanding in Morocco, in Tunisia as well. And there is growing interest amongst investors, both regionally and globally. We're working on encouraging them to remember the region as well Mm -hmm. uh, in light of everything else that's happening. 
It's interesting. I've heard a few investors now say that they feel that impact investing and climate investing might be a little bit insulated from the global downturn in investment as these are potentially countercyclical to say tech investment but also you know just with the urgency and you know of, the, of these problems that we're facing that money might continue to pour into this space and indeed in the most dire times economically and and what have you and you know food crisis ahead these types of things the role of impact investing and venture philanthropy is yeah the primacy becomes hugely important for this sector it's a $50 million fund that you're raising, as you mentioned, Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine, other places. And Mina, can you talk a little bit about some of the themes that you're focusing on, maybe even some of the first interventions that you're targeting as well? Yes, absolutely. To your very eloquent point about the counter-cyclical nature of these spaces, our first equity investment, which is, of course, being considered in the pipeline for the fund is an organization we began supporting with venture philanthropy support in 2017. This social enterprise called Fabric Aid identified an inefficiency in the secondhand clothing market in Lebanon. And to make a long story short, really has created a fabulously efficient value chain that sort of spans drop-off in bins where actually the weighing scales are connected to the business intelligence technology that Alfanar provides the organization through the impact management system to alert them when to send the trucks to pick up clothes, you know, to nearly 100 people working for the organization now, many of whom are refugees and repairing the clothes, preparing them for resale. They have now nearly 10 thrift stores and essentially barter shops for those people, especially in Lebanon post-crisis who are less willing to donate for free their clothes. Now they can sell and rebuy. And they also have vintage shops. They have two shops in Jordan. So despite everything that was going on, and maybe you know, necessity is a virtue in this regard, they expanded and branched out to Jordan. And they are now doing assessments for Egypt. And so we've made an equity investment in that holding company, which owns the subsidiaries. And that's really, you're touching on cyclical or circular economy, a responsible consumption uh, innovation with high, high levels of impact, considering that the items in the thrift store are sold at micro prices, which are less than the cost of milk in Lebanon today. So that gives you a little sense. In general, the theme of the $50 million fund, which we're fundraising, is highly focused on employment we have the MENA region suffers from the highest youth unemployment rates worldwide for the last 25 years, creeping well over 30% in most countries, 42% for girls. And so areas where there's opportunity for a fair amount of activity or agriculture, it's one of the few spaces where refugees are able to work. And we also host, when including Turkey, of course, the largest number of refugees worldwide. And they, of course, suffer quickest from economic downturns and crises. So those are some of the areas where there's focus. There is also a fair amount of activity in the digital economy where we find that there's some space to transcend some of the limitations of borders. And so out of Lebanon as well, we have a venture philanthropy investment 
in BOT, just to simplify, which is an impact outsourcing platform that enables companies worldwide to access AI support, coding, other kinds of digital outsourceable work that still requires human input. And so they've also expanded to Jordan over this last tumultuous period. You mentioned to me that 50% of the deal flow comes from Egypt. Why is that? What's special about Egypt? Is it a demographic thing? Is it just pure numbers? Why so much deal flow there? So historically in the venture philanthropy space, this was our first operating market. And the reason for that is there are 100 million people. It is the most populous country in the region. It has 30% poverty levels. It faces significant development challenges, climate change and environmental challenges, but it has a backdrop of a very vibrant impact sector, which actually has benefited from a pretty vibrant investment and VC sector recently. So there's a fair amount of innovation there. They've revised their NGO law, which has made it a little bit more flexible for social purpose organizations coming both from the nonprofit and the for-profit space to operate. And we know it well. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that is part of the reason why we would expect that based on our experience in the venture philanthropy space and the realities of large numbers, <laughs> that it, there would be a significant proportion of positions in the impact fund taken in Egypt. And so traveling from your most mature market in Egypt to your newest market, Palestine, where I think you just entered in the past few weeks. Can you describe a little bit about the landscape there? Yes. So we've recently revised our strategy into a few steps that we've just taken lessons learned after 18 years to apply, really. And we are now running seed cycles Sustain grants is our sort of longer term three to five year venture philanthropy offering. And then scale investment is the impact fund. So we kicked off with a seed cycle in Palestine. This is an accelerated six month program that allows us to unearth some of the activity who are the promising social enterprises in what spaces are they working and just offer them through hybrid, virtual, and in-person support, key training on really the fundamentals of social enterprise, ranging from theory of change to impact modeling, business canvas modeling. And we did the pitches of the first sort of the shortlisted cohort. And it's quite fascinating, sort of ranging from Nablus to Gaza. It's evident that there's been investment in the space. There are difficulties in access to markets, which we are excited to support, understand better, and hopefully revise our own investment thesis based on this first seed cycle. So we've shortlisted eight uh, now from the pitches, and um, we're running due diligence before we kick off training. That's exciting. So basically, you entered with uh, setting up an accelerator program, essentially. Yes, we skirt around that uh, <laughs> term, <laughs> but essentially it's a chance. The way we've structured our seed cycle is we would like a cohort. We see the benefits of peer-to-peer -peer learning and we want to learn quickly who to take forward and who's really mature enough to work with us and who maybe needs recommendations to work on some things a little further before coming back to us for the long haul, because we are, for every pound 
of grants out, we're adding 47 pence in management support. And if you're just looking for a check, we're probably not the best fit. Got it. And so speaking of, of that, I know you have an interesting approach to impact measurement for your interventions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. We're highly inspired by a study mission we did to Bangalore. It was our first, actually. And this was an Acumen investee, Hippocampus Learning Centers, and they digitize and basically render in real time all of their impact management. And you know, those study missions are for our investees, but we took back the lesson learned that it needs to be faster. It needs to be easier. Reporting has to, you know, have less transaction costs on the entrepreneurs if we're really there to back their growth and their impact growth in particular. And so over time, we've iterated Alphanar Impact Management, which is AIM, and allows us to develop apps, simple applications to allow each grantee of the sustain sort of phase uh, the ability to track their impact and their financial sustainability and their operational efficiency you know when it becomes more relevant in real time or in as much real time as they would like and they upload onto a business intelligence technology platform that they receive access to as part of our support package And it just allows them to report to us a little more seamlessly, but more importantly, have access to visual data that allows them to act quickly when, let's say, they run teacher training programs in 150 public schools across six governorates in Egypt. We're talking about, you know, 5,000 teachers. If School 136 is poorly performing, they're able to act quickly by just sort of looking at the data and we encourage them to do that in our management support sessions, our mentorship sessions. And you design this with them, basically. Yes. It's based on the investment targets. Right. They're completely in line with that. What some of them do is add more indicators uh-huh. when they begin to see the benefits because actually it can be used for other investors or donors. And it you can embed some of the mapping functions into websites. So it has other benefits provided that the organization is seeing those and wants to adopt them. Sometimes I feel like the best way of doing due diligence on a venture is to sit with them and walk through the impact measurement and management, you know, and set it up with them. And in a lot of cases, then even if you determine that it's not the right fit for an investment, you've left them with something extremely valuable as well. So there's, you know, and it's a very organic way to have this conversation about, you know, and suss out the impact that will be created. Yes, agreed. It's a critical piece of the, and why we do impact management and modeling in the seed cycle, because it evidently will inform business planning and then our long-term decision-making. And what do you do with that information? What, who do you share it to? How does it inform your strategy at Alphanar? What is the overall use of this stuff for you? Yeah. So on a quarterly basis, we have investment committee And so the investment committee as a sort of with the senior management team and the country directors are assessing performance movements across the various social enterprise portfolio entities. We also aggregate some of that data, not just in terms of lives impacted and revenue generation, but youth employment, children's education attainment rates, women's sort of take-home income increases, et cetera. And so that's on a quarterly basis, an annual sort of scorecard assessment at the board level. 
And then we use these indicators in our donor reports, really. So it helps streamline our relationship with donors and eventually investors, right. <laughs> you know, so that it's, we're not spending loads of time just on the processing. And, and we've been through the same process, probably others have, but, you know, we started on with Word documents and then Excel. But if you have 18,000 widows in a microfinance investment, you know, <laughs> they just need an ID number and you need to have some clear sort of characteristics that you can then begin to correlate to the outcomes that you're interested in seeing movements on and determine whether things are going well or if there are any outliers, et cetera. That's really fascinating. Yeah, I can imagine that 18,000 widows and trying to spot trends in a Word document might be a little bit challenging. So you are based in London. You spent a lot of time in the U.S. You have a view over the entire Middle East and North Africa. So a very easy question. Looking into the crystal ball, what do you see ahead globally in impact investing and venture philanthropy? What are some trends you'd like to highlight? Um, well, we are lucky enough to be based in London, and that was a very intentional choice because all of our accounts and our processes are transparent and available for anyone to view. And I think as an Arab venture philanthropy organization to give assurance and confidence to those supporting us, that was an important decision. But in terms of what's to come, I think that there will, I mean, there is growth in need. Undoubtedly, the region, I mean, 68% of Egyptians this past month were unable to make ends meet and feed their families. So, I mean, this is not just Egypt. We recognize that hunger and starvation issues are growing, that unemployment is growing. So the need to react and to back scalable solutions that can eventually reach many more people, millions of people, and eventually become sort of public-private partners, you know, enable governments to respond at a more effective level, whether on the impact side or on the environmental side is primordial, it's necessary. And so there is both on the sort of foundation, individual and corporate side, there's growing interest. The ESG requirements have encouraged that. There are certain realities in the region and interconnectedness of the region, which I think makes it the right time to um, launch this impact fund. And truthfully, we're often forgotten. <laughs> I know we receive a lot of aid, but there are some spaces in the philanthropy kind of movement, especially on gender and on women where we're not exactly represented. And so it behooves us to take responsibility and to invest and to refuse the status quo. And I think that the region is savvy, it's excited, it's motivated. There are more enterprises to invest in. There's excitement about impact investing. We've been watching the other big players, watching South Asia change, watching the reclassification of Bangladesh. We're seeing it happen around us. And so I think, you know, it's the moment to sort of stand up and say, yes, uh, it's time for regional impact investment. Alfanar is, a, you know, a trusted partner and hopefully others to follow. That's very exciting. And I can imagine that a $50 million fund is really going to move the needle in the region as well. Inshallah, as we Inshallah, say. Inshallah, <laughs> indeed. My last question is always, 
what is your favorite thing to do? And I'm trying to think of the city for you because I could choose London, Cairo, Beirut, West Palm Beach. <laughs> With global people like yourself, it's hard to say where you're from, where you live I sometimes. Know. But if you were to choose one of these cities, one of these places you call home, give us, the listeners, your favorite thing to do that might not be in a guidebook. Well, I'm not sure this is not in a guidebook, Ryan, but given that I happen to live in London, but I am very connected to the Arab world, a delightful afternoon or day visit is Leighton House. It's a small museum in Holland Park that was the home of a painter who used to travel in the late 19th century to Turkey, to Egypt, to Syria, and he collected just stunning ceramics and created this house in the middle of central London that has an Arab hall that has the sort of signature aspects of Islamic architecture. And it is just a delight. And it connects you back to obviously what's important to me personally, but Al-Fanar kind of as an Arab venture philanthropy organization. Okay. I'm definitely going to check that out next time I'm in London. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Myrna, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you so much, Ryan, and for all you're doing and for giving us the platform to um, share our story. My pleasure. You can find out more about EVPA at www.edpa.eu.com, including information on its training academy and how you can become a member. Remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it now to hear more stories like this one. 